Welcome to The Healthy Dose, a health and wellness podcast brought to you by Crystal Run Healthcare. We interview our award-winning providers and executive leadership to discuss important health issues. As we are physicians, this series is meant to provide important information on various health topics, but is not intended to provide a diagnosis, treatment, or substitute for a visit with your healthcare provider. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of The Healthy Dose. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Nasser, Chief Clinical Integration Officer and Medical Director at Crystal Run Healthcare. Today, I'm excited to welcome one of our great doctors at Crystal Run, Dr. Sam Spinowitz, an otolaryngologist, head and neck surgery specialist at Crystal Run Healthcare. Welcome, Dr. Spinowitz. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So, um, Dr. Spinowitz, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, hi, everybody. Good afternoon. Um, I'm one of the ear, nose, and throat doctors at Crystal Run. I've been in practice at Crystal Run for about two and a half to three years now. I'm, I'm ex- extremely passionate in the field. I was born with a hearing loss in both ears, and I've had hearing aids since I was about three years old. And that kind of introduced me to the field of, uh, of ENT or um, ear, nose, and throat. And ever since I was little, I would be involved in um, hearing tests and ear exams, and it um, and it really introduced me to um, a very extensive field. Um, I'm really happy to be involved in the care of people with chronic hearing issues and chronic uh, just ENT issues in general. So great. Well, that's I didn't know that about you. I've I've known about uh, you here at Chris Run. We've been in. Uh, with a number of patients in common, but thanks for sharing that with everyone. Sure. So Sam, before we get into the topic of today, which we're gonna talk about kind of sinus mm-hmm. and allergies, mm-hmm. I like to start off with an icebreaker. Mm-hmm. So um, the first thing I just wanted to ask you, uh, and I, I think you'll know the answer to this, can you tell everyone what a garbage plate is? Oh, I do know the answer to this actually. So you are referring to a very delicious meal, upstate New York, up in Rochester. Um, so I spent eight years in training up there, um, undergraduate and medical school. And the garbage plate is um, a very crucial thing to be involved with up there. It's, it is extremely unhealthy, though. It's like you're uh, priming yourself for a MI at some point in the future, but there's a lot of meat and grease and eggs and um, a lot of ketchup. It's a delicious thing. So, so actually, the reason I know that is I I did my training at uh, Rochester, um, and I think I was probably there before you were in medical school. But I did med peds up at Rochester and uh-huh. lived there for five years, and I had a few garbage plates. Um, so yes, I I saw yeah. that and wanted to ask about that. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. I remember there was like a weird combination of like baked beans and potato salad, and oh, then yes. like a burger on top. And yeah, it's just a strange. It's a strange. Strange concoction of things, just all thrown onto a plate. There's no, uh, it's just, it's, it's exactly what it is. It's all garbage. Well, I'm really hungry now. When we're done, we're going to go out for garbage plates. It sounds so good. Sounds good. Sounds um, good. So great. Well, thank you for sharing that with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's jump right in. Uh, first thing, you know, it's, it's uh, April 1st. We're recording today, and it's finally mm-hmm. seemingly getting to be spring. Pretty soon, we're going to have that sort of yellow dust on all of our cars and and Mm -hmm. the height of allergy season. So can you just for sure, obviously I know in terms of your background as an ENT surgeon, but just kind of share what what we should be expecting as we move into spring and talk about seasonal allergies, how common they are, what are some of the common symptoms and 
and uh, fill us in on what we should be expecting here as we move into the nice weather. Uh, so absolutely. So um, allergies are extremely common in our field, and um, it's estimated um, that about maybe 15% of Americans deal with chronic allergy issues. And, and we see it a lot in our office. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the symptoms of seasonal allergies involve the ear, nose, and throat quite a bit. So chronic nasal congestion, chronic running nose, sneezing, uh, itching of the eyes, um, uh, nasal obstruction, even things like um, uh, phlegm and throat clearing could be uh, unusual symptoms of allergies. We, it's, uh, I know they're very treatable. Um, it's important to really be seen in the office where we can do allergy testing. Uh, we can examine their, your nose and throat. We can look for any signs of swelling and inflammation. So, so I know you, you guys here at the ENT department at Crystal Run is right down the hall from Dr. Dew, our allergist. Yes. So how does someone know if they should be seeing an allergist? Mm. Or when is it really more of an ENT issue that their doctor or maybe they're self-referring to see someone like yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I am uh, a really strong advocate for uh, allergy and ENT care together so because allergies are a very overlapping thing. So I think if, if anybody uh, has a concern that they have and seasonal allergies, I think it would be a smart idea to see both allergy and ENT. And for ease, they can try to schedule an appointment with us on the same day. We are, as you said, on the same floor in the same area. I think it's important to see um, ENT and allergy together because uh, we treat the same thing, but we treat it in a different way. So whereas the allergist will uh, will um, do allergy testing and a good strong history for allergies, we try to focus more on the nasal passages in the throat. We examine them. We look for signs of structural issues and, and things like that. So. Great. Now, a lot of people are self-medicating for allergies. There's so many things now that are over-the-counter. Mm -hmm. um, so before yes. people come to you, what, what, have, what have they commonly tried? And maybe another way to think about it is, you know, if someone thinks they have allergies, one of the things we like to say in medicine, um, you know, when you hear hooves, it's probably horses and not zebras. So many people are self-medicating for allergies. What, what are you typically seeing people taking? What would you recommend that people try before they're saying, you know yeah. what, it's time for me to come in and see a doctor? Yeah, so there, it's really common that um, because just um, just the ease of access to all these over-the-counter medications, people treat themselves all the time. If they have any of those common allergy symptoms, right, so the, the nasal congestion, the sneezing, the, the, the watery eyes and the itchiness, you know, some of the things they can try, so some of the common over-the-counter over things they can try are nasal sprays and allergy pills. So uh, nasal sprays like nasal flonase, which used to be a, which used to be uh, not over-the-counter, now is over-the-counter. So that's a really common uh, nasal spray that they could try. And then things like Claritin and Azurtec, those are all um, ext extremely common, and, and they could try that as well. And, and I think, you know, along those lines, because a lot of times people are self-medicating, it's fairly obvious, you know, and, and as, as you know, I'm a, in my primary care practice, yeah. you know, people that have allergies every spring and every fall and in between they have no symptoms, yeah. 
you know, we don't necessarily need to have the allergist involved or the ENT doctors involved as long as they're asymptomatic outside of that period. What about people that have like just chronic allergy symptoms? Yeah. What would be a reason for that? And, you know, obviously it's not maybe outdoor allergens, but how do you think about people that yeah. are just congested year round? And yeah. what, what is your process and sort of thinking about them? Yeah, so that's a great point. Um, you know, people who are having a lot of chronic issues, which is actually defined as three months or more, right? So when people start to have chronic nasal issues for longer than three months, that's, that is really by definition chronic. Uh, and it's important that people take note of that because when they're treating themselves with these over-the-counter sprays and allergy medications for long periods of time, they could do more harm. They could do more harm than good. So the reason why people might have chronic issues uh, is, um, n number one, they're taking uh, medications and sprays that are not really good for them. This is actually a great, great time to talk about um, Afrin because um, usually people with chronic issues, uh, um, with nasal congestion, runny nose, things like that, they tend to, uh, they, they really tend to go after Afrin, which is easily accessible over the counter, and it's very strong. Um, the thing with Afrin use, it, it can be you know, very addictive number one, and it could cause more harm than actual good. So the reason why is, it, is it, it, it'll temporarily improve nasal congestion, but in fact, um, it will cause more nasal swelling over time. So we see a lot of Afrin users who are addicted to Afrin, and they've really had a lot of chronic nasal issues for months and even years. So it's important for people to sort of uh, really take note if they're abusing things like Afrin and other over-the-counter sprays and allergy pills, and they're not really improving in their symptoms, um, and they've had it for many months and years. Those are the people who we should see in the office, uh, both allergy and ENT. Um, they've tried the over-the-counter stuff, and it's just not helping. So, yeah, interestingly, one, there's another group of patients that I wasn't aware of that had chronic sort of post-nasal drip or chronic runny nose that's not allergies. I wasn't aware of it, uh, I think, until a lot of my patients had, and these are seniors with sort of a chronic runny nose, um, you know, vasomotorhinitis or whatever. Yes. So talk about that a little bit, because that affects a lot of my patients, and I don't know if people are aware of that, but they often have tried, not necessarily Afrin, but they're chronically on Flonase, and they're looking for relief. So maybe you could just tell us a little about a, you know, an, an older patient with a chronic runny yes. nose and what that is. And it's really that? common and people hate it. It's really, it's really, it just impacts their quality of life. They are embarrassed by it. So it's a really common thing. Um, it's, and it's usually in elderly people. And these people don't have nasal congestion or nasal obstruction so much, just their nose runs. One of the biggest signs is it really is triggered with eating. For some reason, eating makes things worse. It makes the runny nose worse. So, so it is an allergy. It's just that the nasal lining is just overactive. It's just, um, and there's no rhyme or reason really to it. It's just um, the nasal, nasal mucosa is overactive. So there are some nasal sprays that we have that are geared particularly to this issue. Um, Atrovent, which is not over-the-counter, is a really common spray used to treat this. And then there are some procedures that can be done in the office uh, that can help sort of 
or to calm down that overactivity. So since you mentioned that, so Doc, I, I actually have this issue that I, I've noticed uh, when I have to speak in front of a large group of people and I'm nervous, uh, my nose runs. Is that the same overactive, nothing to do with it? Should I take Atrovent? What do you think? That's an a unusual one. That's the first. Um, I would say uh, try Atrovent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sounds good. I guess I guess I'm a it's, I'm a zebra after all in that <laughs> way, but all right, well, great. So let's shift gears a little bit. Um, hate to bring up COVID, but I think we're all happy to be moving forward with COVID. Uh, but what are you seeing in your patients, kind of after COVID, in terms yeah. of impact, and how has it changed maybe some of the the patients that you're seeing after that illness and how it's impacting them? Yeah, so it really changed our field quite a bit. Um, we're seeing a lot of people with um, a lot of symptoms that are that are really common after COVID. So, and these are people that have had COVID a year ago, two years ago, even at this point. And a lot of those symptoms uh, involve uh, um, altered taste, altered smell, uh, a lot of sinus pressure, a lot of facial pain, headaches, um, atypical migraines. And so there's a lot of symptoms related to this. Um, it's really difficult to treat, honestly. Um, but a good start is to see us where we can take a look in the nasal passages with a camera. We could look for any signs of, of underlying swelling, any sinusitis issues. Um, Alter taste and smell usually has nothing to do with inflammation in the sinuses. It's um, a lot of data now is indicating it's a neurological insult to the neurons that involve our smell and our taste. So it's not antibiotics or nasal sprays that are used to treat the altered smell and altered taste associated with this, but rather trying to strengthen the nerves that are insulted as a result. So olfactory training, I'm sure people have heard of it. it it's a fancy name, but it's a way to uh, improve smell and taste, actually, after COVID. Olfactory training basically involves uh, training yourself how to re-smell, how to retaste. So uh, it's about exposing the nose to strong odors, right? So you can get essential oils, really anything. But it's, it involves um, spending every single day, about 30 minutes a day, just trying to smell and even taste strong, strong-scented things. And, you know, if you lose it, sorry, if you don't use it and you lose it, it's that same kind of idea. The more you train the nerves, how to re-smell, re-taste, the more they can sort of regenerate and regrow. Uh, the other thing that we do, people who prior to COVID had chronic allergy issues, you know, we do add in some nasal sprays and, and oral steroids, but for the most part, it's really um, olfactory training that really helps these people. And then there's been evidence to show that omega-3 fatty acids, even or even oral zinc has been shown to sort of help the improvement of, you know, altered taste and smell. But it's a big issue. We see it a lot. And people are concerned because they think their house is on fire. They smell smoke. Um, they think that there's just an awful smell everywhere they go. So it's really debilitating. It impacts people. We see it. We see it often. 
So if someone has experienced that prolonged loss of smell and taste, is that something that they would come to see you for? Can yeah, you, absolutely. You guys yeah, help We see it all process? the time. And mm-hmm. even if they've had it for a year, two years, they should still see us because they might feel like uh, there's no room for improvement, but there is. We just really have to evaluate, take a look, just make sure there's no, there's nothing like nasal polyps, things that we have to address. Uh, and then we could, you know, move on from there. Yeah, yeah, great. No, that's that's. But this this know. is not mm-hmm. so much an allergy problem, but it's mm-hmm. very much an ENT problem. We see it often, and um, mm-hmm. okay, great. Well, one of the things that's interesting for me, again, in my primary care practice about ENT, is that you guys are a blend of kind of medical and surgery, and yeah. you know some of the patients you see it's are great. never going to have surgery, right? Yeah. But let's give you a chance to talk about surgery because I'm sure that that uh, part of what you like to do is to yes. be able to do that. Yes. What are what are the most common things that you guys see that require surgery? Yes. Um, in terms of your practice, and and tell us about uh, what those patients are like and and what the surgeries are. Yeah. So that's a great question, um, and I think this is really important because at least for me personally, um, these people that that end up needing surgery are are really hurting. Um, in their symptoms. So people with chronic nasal congestion, runny nose, nasal obstruction, snoring, chronic allergies that are not improving with nasal sprays, allergy shots, things like that. Um, you know, we take a look at them and if we see things like a deviated nasal septum or enlarged turbinates or um, nasal polyps, they are really good candidates for nasal surgery. Nasal surgery involves straightening um, any any deviated septum, shrinking down turbinates, uh, you know, clearing out any nasal polyps, um, and um, people r- really tend to do really well. Nasal surgery is all outpatient. Uh, it's done uh, at the ASC uh, um, in our building, and and they go home on the same day. They have a little bit of pain after surgery, but you know, they usually improve by m- maybe one week. And so they have splints in, inside the nose usually, and they come out, and there's really a, a drastic improvement um, in their symptoms. Yeah. And then two other surgeries that I uh, often have in, in my pediatric practice that I interact with you guys on. So ear tubes. Now, over the years, the recommendation for ear tubes has changed, but we talked earlier about some hearing loss, an interest of yours. So talk to us about where are we now with chronic ear infections and and ear tubes and and who needs those? Yeah, so uh, chronic ear infections are really common. Uh, um, We see it a lot in our kids, especially now. Uh, I don't know why, but we do. Chronic ear infections could be... Uh, trouble because it, it, could, it could impact their hearing. And if it impacts their hearing, it could impact their speech. So we really try to stay on top of it for young kids. So chronic ear infections usually are about three to four ear infections in a year. And so if, if, if you know, you're getting antibiotics about three to four times for an ear infection over, over one year period, usually it's an indication for ear tubes. And we generally like to see these patients in the office. We like to confirm there's fluid in the ear because, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, it, it could be overcalled. Um, and we often, often have them get a hearing test just to confirm there's a fluid in the ears and they have hearing loss as a result. But ear tubes, you know, kids with ear tubes do really well. They, there's a drastic improvement in their hearing after ear tubes. Uh, there's a drastic um, uh, change in ear infections. They don't really get ear infections a lot. And kids who uh, 
end up going to daycare, get get sick all the time, where they get a lot of ear infections and nasal congestion. So these kids especially get a lot of benefit from ear tubes. Um, so if there's any concern for fluid in the ears, or if you feel like you know there's just a lot of antibiotics being thrown around for ear infections, ear tubes might be a, you know a very good idea. And so one of the things we've seen in our pediatric practice during the last two years is less ear infections and less illness because of masking. And, mm. and like, in fact, I saw, Absolutely. I think it was the first time in two years that I saw a patient recently, a child who had had like a prolonged cold. We used to sort of think about those as ping pong infections, especially in the setting of something like daycare, sick, you're better, you're sick again. And yeah. it seems like one long illness. I suspect that that has also caused you guys to have less children that you're seeing with chronic ear infections. Mm-hmm. But tell us a little bit about the impact of COVID on, on that uh, diagnosis. No, that's that's completely true. Um, I think we're seeing a lot less kids with ear infections. Um, a little bit of an uptick now, actually, because um, a lot of the, the stringency in regard to masking is sort of um, you know, decreasing. So uh, kids in daycare don't really have to wear any masks now. So we, we are seeing an uptick. But for uh, a long time during the pandemic, there, uh, there was a real significant drop in ear infections, throat infections. So, you know, it just uh, it just hints at the point of good oral hygiene, good hand hygiene. You know, if you have a cough or sneeze, you know, you should cover your mouth. You should clean your hands, things like that. That can definitely decrease your infections, throat infections. Absolutely. So a funny story about uh, ear infections that I wanted to share with you, and this is a Rochester story, mm-hmm. and it has two parts. The first part was when I was in Rochester, there was a pediatrician who was a big proponent of uh, needle myringotomies. Mm. And we actually trained, went to a training course. And what this is for those listening at home is if you had a child with like a really severe ear infection and a lot of pain, uh, I can't believe we did this. Um, I never actually did it on a real patient, but you would actually with a needle go in and and drain the ear infection. And I don't have, do you guys ever do that? I mean, it's not something I've ever seen yeah. done after I did that it's, course. But. It's a great question. But um, trying to hold down yeah, a two-year-old right. screaming kid yeah. with an ear infection and and trying to poke their ear with a needle is yeah. very difficult. Absolutely. Totally so, so um, I, um, ideally, it's a great thing to drain an acute ear infection with a needle, with a needle man guy. But in actuality, it's very difficult to do. And... Um, and sometimes it could be really dangerous. It's it's really in a very unique group of kids who are uh, very calm, very manageable, and you could you could sort of treat them in the office. But otherwise, you really have to bring these kids to the operating room, put them to sleep, and put in ear tubes even. So yeah, well, so what was interesting? I totally agree. And part of it, I think, in their office, they even gave like a. a an, this was. You know, yeah. 25 years ago, yeah. they did like some oral sedation in some of these kids. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I agree though. I mean, for just for the parents out there, sometimes I think you, uh, we get frustrated that it, yeah. a new infection is being diagnosed. It's not an easy thing to examine in a child that's not feeling well. And so, I, no. as you pointed out, a lot of times they are over. No, and that's you know, um, as as an ENT doctor, you have a couple tricks in your toolbox where you can sort of interact with the kid, play with the kid, and then slowly get into examining their ears. Um, you know, for and little girls, we 
like to say, you know, we're going to examine you or see if there's a princess in the year. You know, so there are certain tricks that you can do to try to get them interactive. But yeah, for the most part, a kid with ear pain is really not going to want you to look in their ears. But we do. We have to. And uh, you know. So the second part of the story, which, which I, I'll share. So after taking this course, and I was probably like a second year resident, I went back to my continuity clinic, yeah. and it was like the next week, uh-huh. and there was a child there with ear pain. Mm-hmm. So I went in and examined this child, and I saw this like perfect bulging eardrum. <laughs> and it was like the perfect case for this. So I went yeah. out and got the attendant and said, Dr. Robbins, you're not going to believe this, but I just took this course, and this, this kid has like the most incredible bulging eardrum. Well, you got to come look at it. So he comes in and looks at it with me, and he says, John, there's a bead in, there, in her ear. <laughs> there was, she had put a beard, a bead in her ear, which was stuck in there. It was not the perfect bulging eardrum. <laughs> we actually had to send her to ENT to get it out because we couldn't get it out in the office. Uh, yeah, so. we, we see a lot of that kind of stuff. We see insects, we see beads, we see uh, ear molds, we see, uh, we see ear batteries and batteries, which uh, can be a big issue. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we see all kinds of foreign bodies in the ears and the nose in kids, you know. All the more reason, I always tell parents, you know, make sure when you have a two, three-year-old, even four-year-old, anything that's small, anything that they can put in the ear, put in the nose, just keep away, keep out of, out of sight. Yeah. Yeah, Great, absolutely. well, just share, sharing my experience with the needle procedure, which, <laughs> which we stopped doing. Um, I think just the last thing I just wanted to give you a chance to just uh, to share with us maybe some take homes. But thinking about specifically when when does somebody when should somebody wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I really need to see an ENT doctor. Um, I think a lot of times our patients don't know who to see, and sometimes their yeah. primary care doctor can help them with that. But yeah. when is it that someone really should say, you know what, it's time for me to go see Dr. Spinowitz? Yeah. Um Honestly, we I see all kinds of patients with with all kinds of symptoms, you know. And starting in in duration from one day to many years, right? So anything that has to do with the ear, nose, and throat, um, I would be happy to see. So, and we all would um, in our ENT field. So um, things like nasal congestion, runny nose, uh, ear pain, ear drainage, or hearing loss, even ringing in the ears is is and something that we see really commonly. Um, throat pain, uh, dry throat, um, phlegm in the throat, throat clearing. You know, we see people with trouble swallowing. Um, we see people, you know, obviously with chronic nasal congestion and allergies, we, we see a, a lot of people with those things. You know, I, I would say there's no harm in seeing us uh, for any of th- those issues. Um, Great. And so, uh, so Dr. Spinowitz, if where, where will people find you? Where do you see your patients and what offices yeah, do you work um, out of? Yeah, so I'm at the Crystal Run building in Middletown at 95 Crystal Run Road, and I go to Rock Hill as well, um, Emerald Place, I believe it is. Um, we have audiologists at 95 Crystal Run Road in Middletown, and we have allergy testing there as well. Yeah, great. And then you mentioned you do your surgeries in the Ambulatory Surgery Center here. Yes, um, I do. Right here at many the of them. Right. Yeah, many of them here at the Surgery Center. Great. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Spinowitz, for being with us today. It's a pleasure. And I want to thank you all for listening. If you would like more information about otolaryngology at Crystal Run Healthcare or to book an appointment with Dr. Spinowitz, visit our website, www.crystalrunhealthcare.com backslash specialties backslash otolaryngology. Difficult word to say and spell, but uh, O-T-O-L-A-R-Y-N-G-O-L-O-G-Y. 
Um, and again, I'm Dr. Jonathan Nasser, and this has been the Healthy Dose, a health and wellness podcast by Krista Run Healthcare.